Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Don Abbott, the snarky gardener, to talk about his experience with urban farming while living in a rental property. Don is a gardener, blogger, author, educator, speaker, reluctant activist, and permaculture practitioner from Kent, Ohio. Professionally, he's a software developer, but spends his spare time producing food and helping others do the same. His blog, thesnarkygardener.com, assists others with growing food in northeastern Ohio and beyond. He is also the founder of the Kent, Ohio chapter of Food Not Lawns. Congratulations on that, by the way. In spring 2015, he received his permaculture design certificate from Green Triangle of Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome to the show today, Don. Oh, thank you. It's good to be on the show. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk about your topic today because I get a lot of people talking to me about, hey, I just rent, so I can't garden. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But for the moment, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path that you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Um, I grew up in the Akron, Ohio area, south of Cleveland, mm-hmm. um, on four and a half acres. Um, out in the country, we had uh, cows, chickens, horses. I did 4-H. I did rabbits. Uh, and we had a garden, but it was really, it was not, you know, just very standard stuff. I don't even think we had, like, any brassias or anything like that. It was just corn, beans, you know, maybe some pumpkins and squash, but very, very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I had some ideas on about gardening, but um, after I moved out, my parents moved to Florida. So I was on my own at, like, 21. So, I mean, I went into software, and I really never thought about gardening or any of that stuff again. Um, I moved to Florida for a while and came back to Ohio Mm -hmm. and um, decided to, I I ended up just renting a place out in the country. It was a duplex. And the landlord there, just one day, he comes by, and there was some area in the backyard that was just, it wasn't lawn, it wasn't anything. It was just basically black raspberries and uh, 
you know, weeds and stuff. And mm-hmm. he pulled up. He goes, is it okay if I till up some? We can have a garden. I'm like, oh, that's, yeah, I guess. I don't wow. Know. So he till, yeah, I know. And so he tills it up, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I said, I, I remember when I was a kid, but it's like, so I go to this store, you know, different, you know, garden stores and stuff, and I just start planting stuff. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I start to get into it, and it's like, this is pretty cool. I mean, I had some, you know, successes. I had some failures, just, you know, the real basics of not knowing what I was doing, but I right. did get stuff. And so I kind of got addicted, so I learned a little more, learned a little more. Um, then I decided to move closer to my work, which is in Kent. So um, in 2010, I was looking for a place, and I happened to go by a house, and I noticed it was a rent, and there was a garden in the backyard. Oh, nice. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I didn't, I mean, the house is like, it's on a busy, you know, main drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and the house itself is like 75 years old, little bungalow, not very, you know, very unspectacular, but there's a garden in the back. So I'm interested and I'm talking to the landlord and, and I think he could tell I was more interested in that garden <laughs> than the told, house. Right. Told, yeah. Right. And he told, told me you can make the whole thing a garden if you wanted to. Wow. I, I don't really mind because he also gardens and stuff and it's a little bit less than an acre. So I, I got there. I started, um, I was, you know, I put my first year's garden in the next spring which was 2011 Mm -hmm. and it was you know i was still learning and and i was starting to get into permaculture too some of the stuff i was reading and so i was interested in that sort of stuff and around the winter of 2013 i decided to start my blog the snarky gardener um i kind of came up with the name because i mean i had only been a gardener a very short period of time right but i've been i've been a you know snarky fellow pretty much all my life so <laughs> i'm like well, i think this will work I, mm-hmm. I like to use sarcasm you know and my very first thing that i wrote about was a um i went i found something on uh online it, there was a seed swap up in cleveland that was right. being put on by food food not lawns cleveland and so it was like ooh, my you know my people you know it was really just it really opened up my eyes and and you know, I went to several different things during that year, and by the end of the year, the lady who runs it, Mari, um, was like, well, you know, you, you're driving 50 miles up here. You you should start your own, you know, uh-huh. chapter. Because um, with Food Not Lawns, you know, it's not like you have to apply or anything. You just basically you say, just I'm do it, right. it and do it. So before I knew it, I was, you know, starting that up. So I, I, that's kind of where I've got to the path where I'm at between the writing from the blog and for, you know, I've, I've been teaching classes and doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's been, it's been really interesting and really fun. And, and if you would have told me, you know, even five years ago that I'd be, you know, doing all the stuff that I'm doing and people come to me with questions and stuff, I would have said you're crazy. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I got where I'm at. How nice, how nice, how nice. I love it that you're teaching. What do you teach? Uh, mostly beginning gardening classes. Uh-huh. Um, I did a seed saving uh, workshop at the library. I did a couple of this. I did like a beginning one and I did a shade gardening and then I did a seed saving one and the, the our local Kent Free Library here decided that they were going to um, they're going to have a um, seed library. Nice. And they, they used my seed saving thing as their kickoff. Uh-huh. So we're uh, Food Not Lawns plus uh, I think the Master Gardeners in this county are we're working with the library to help them with you know taking seeds and we're going to do some seed uh, splitting parties where you take out the big you know make little tiny packages mm-hmm. and stuff. 
but it was just interesting how one thing kind of led to another. So, um, yeah. I love it when we follow our path, you know? It, it kind of, well, it follows, we follow the path, and sometimes it, it, it makes more paths. Always. <laughs> I, like stuff I would have never thought of what happened, happened, you know? Yeah. So we're talking about rental properties, and like I said earlier, I get a lot of feedback from people, and they say, well, I can't garden because I'm in a rental. What do you say to people when they say that? Um, well, first of all, you have to make sure that's actually true. I mean, if you have a landlord who says, you know, I don't want you tearing up the, you know, my yard, mm -hmm. you can ask them, you know, is there a spot and what's the reasoning? Or you can just, you know, you can, can I do container gardening or... I mean, worst case, you could go to a community plot or you could grow stuff inside. A lot of, I actually started gardening at the same time that, uh, or maybe about the same time when that first landlord actually created the garden for me. I was also, um, Ohio is very known, this part of Ohio, we have uh, Lake Erie here, so we have a lot of, um, a lot of clouds, a lot of, you know, in the wintertime, it's very dark, very gloomy, mm -hmm. much like, you know, Seattle would be. So, and I, I get that seasonal affective disorder. So I actually bought a couple of those arrow gardens, which are like little hydroponic oh, yes. gardens. That sit on your kitchen and counter or something. Exactly. And so, I mean, I started to get in that way too. I mean, it doesn't produce a lot, but it produces something. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess if you're in a situation like that, you can look at, I mean, you can grow mushrooms inside. They have kits and stuff. Oh, you can right. microgreens. There's a lot of things if you use your imagination. But, I mean, if you really want to garden on a rental, you might have to really, I mean, you might have to move. I came, I got kind of lucky when I came where the situation was, but I also had the conversation. It's, I think some landlords are fine with it. I've had, I've talked to people where it's, it's no problem at all for landlords and other ones are, you know, big jerks and won't let you do it. Yeah. So you have to kind of, I wrote an article called Permaculture while renting. And one of the things I said in there was sometimes, you know, you have to get your negotiations out front like you would with a job. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you go to apply for a job, it, the time to talk about how much vacation time you have and how much you're in paid isn't when you're already there in the job. It's right. Before you say yes. And so when you're going to do, you know, if you're going into a rental, you need to ask those questions up front. You also have to kind of look around to see if there's even a spot for it. Because, I mean, there's some places where, you know, you have all trees, they're not, obviously not going to let you cut down trees. So, you know, you have to kind of look at it from that point of view. Yeah. Um, but I've also talked to other people, like I said, who are not having, you know, they've, they've also found landlords that are pretty good. I mean, the important thing is that relationship with the landlord. Mm -hmm. Know what you can and cannot do. And, and honestly, you also have to be a good renter. I, I think, yeah. you know, you have your rent on time and you have to not be one of those who call the landlord every time there's a leaky faucet. Yeah. You know, there, there's a give and take to it. I only call the landlord if it's absolutely necessary. I mm -hmm. hate to bother him because, you know, but we have a good relationship now. I've been there five years. And, wow. I mean, you know. And you got it out of the way he, up front, it sounds like. Yeah. And the funny part is he's actually helped me with a couple of projects on, on the property. Uh -huh. um, I wanted to do some expanding this year. This spring, he went and did some tilling for me. Oh, um, wow. And we, actually, and he was removing some trees. He had some old pine trees he wanted to take out. And while he was there, we kind of asked him and he actually made us, he made a hookah culture bed for us. Oh, nice. He actually took the thing. He actually took the scoop 
scooped out the dirt and moved the logs into place. All I had to do was put the dirt back on it, but wow. it was just amazing. I mean, he and he's not, he doesn't have a permaculture design background. He doesn't right. really, I mean, he looks at my garden. I know he's like thinking, what the heck? Because I, my garden is very weedy, very, you know, very natural looking. It's uh-huh. not, I, don't, I don't till, I don't, you know, I have very little bare ground. Yeah. And so I know he probably thinks I'm insane for all that, but <laughs> him, him and the next door neighbors do see that I, I'm walking in with, you know, handfuls and armfuls of food all the time for, you know, 10 months out of the year when we're in Ohio. So, I mean, I can get stuff up to Christmas out of there. And once wow. we get March, I can start pulling stuff out again. Um, it just, it's how you look at it. So. Yeah, exactly. So you, you mentioned a, a word that I don't want to actually you've mentioned a couple of words. Uh, permaculture, which we're going to come back to here in a minute. But you mentioned like, Hugel culture. Say more about yes. that because it's a fascinating concept. Um, basically, it's the, to do it, basically, you dig a big hole, a uh-huh. trench, whatever, in the dirt, and you get old wood. A couple years old is best if it's rotted. It's scrap wood, stuff you wouldn't use, you know, natural stuff, not something you would mm-hmm. use in a building or something. You put it down in, you put anything else, organic materials, and then you put dirt back over it. So you've got yourself a raised bed that's kind of rounded. Mm-hmm. But the idea being that the, the wood underneath there and all the material holds water. Oh, yes. So that, and it also, it breaks down over time and it creates soil. So in a few years, all that wood that's underneath there will turn into really nice soil. And having the raised beds, I found, also helps with, like, it's one of the first places in my garden that this last year, because it was last winter was the last, the first time I had it in, you could tell where the sun was, you know, everything else snow-covered except the hooliculture bed. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, and they were oh, the first interesting. place I and I had spinach and stuff that I'd planted, the, you know, the fall before that came right up. I mean, they're some of the best places I have. And also, because they're up there, you're not going to walk on them. You're not going to compact any of the earth. Right. Uh, it helps a lot of sort of stuff. So, I mean, I'd read about that online. And I have, I'm lucky that there's woods right to my north. So I have a lot of scrap wood that, you know, just literally, literally falls into my yard. Uh, and so it's you know it's a good use for that it, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily a permaculture technique it's just one that people in this you know space seem to use it was something i'd read about and had, had the materials on hand and wanted to try it so. yeah so you think the reason that there was no snow on on the hugel culture bed was it heated up I think because it's a raised area, uh-huh. and it's a little, they say it's a little closer to the sun, and the water kind of drains off of it too. So I, I, I'm pretty sure it seemed to be south facing that was the part that really had no snow on it. Yeah. it was. I took a picture of it actually because it, it was just so cool because nice. everything else had snow on it. But um, yeah. So I want to, I, I don't want to go past um, permaculture. You, uh, I think you told me in an email that you had uh, recently completed your. Uh, your uh, permaculture design course and you were still trying to recover yes, yes. yeah so say, um, say more about that because there, there's a whole lot of power in that I decided after you know reading about it the permaculture design course certification is like the fundamental ideas and concepts that come behind the whole thing mm-hmm. and it, it, it runs very deep it's more than just gardening it, it, permaculture can really be applied to anything. I mean, your life, uh, you know, your housing, the way you design just about anything. Um, and the, the program that you go through is supposed to be a week or two full on, you know, this is all you're doing. Right. Um, but I ended up going into a weekend course that they had up in Cleveland. Oh, nice. Um, and it was eight to five, 
Saturday and Sunday for seven weekends. Wow. While I'm working full time. Um, it wasn't every weekend. We had like a break, like maybe every like two weekends we'd be on and one off. Uh-huh. Oh, oh my goodness. And plus at work, we were going through a, a reorganization. So I was actually going, going through classes and doing learning and stuff. And it happened almost like I'd already was paid for the permaculture class. And it just started when they told me we were mm-hmm. doing it. So it, between all that change and I'm, I'm not a young pup, I'm middle aged and it's just a lot of change, a lot of stuff going on and just the amount of information that I'm yeah. still trying to process. It's why I, I've just started writing articles and stuff and been able to put it back out there. I needed time to really digest it as a, yeah. you know, and a lot of the activities I wanted to get done this summer, because like I said, I had food on lawns, we actually didn't get as much done as we mm-hmm. wanted because we were kind of, it was almost like being in a, you know, a cocoon and coming out as a butterfly. Right. And yeah, You exactly. need that time, downtime to, you know, recover. But it was a very, very nice program. We, uh, the primary instructor was Peter Bain. Oh my gosh, that's right. And Peter's a rock star. He is just incredible at what he's done out in the world. Really, the, the funniest part about it is the whole thing was done in a, we were in the basement of a church. Uh-huh. So I'm there, we're sitting in a room, 25 of us in the basement, no mm-hmm. windows. And it's Sunday morning and Peter's up there and he's talking and you hear the church music coming from up above. <laughs> it's so surreal. It's nice. just like, wow, this is just like, nice. you know, preaching to us because some of it gets, you know, like that. Permaculture is very, a very natural, you know, working with nature, right. you know, working in the very, flow, excuse me, working in the flow. Yes. Working in the flow, yeah. working uh, with edge, working with just, just all kinds of stuff like that. So tell and, me, tell me one of your significant takeaways from your permaculture design course. There's 12 principles of permaculture, and mm-hmm. I think the, my favorite out of those was actually the first one, which is observe and interact. Yep. It's, I translate that to mean, you know, look before you leap. Right. Take a look at what you have. People want to jump in and do stuff, whether it be a garden or, you know, building, you know, a house or whatever. And instead of looking at what you got and thinking about how it will look and how things will work, you know, you need to do that first because you'll, you'll, you know, it's the old, you know, measure twice, cut once sort of. Yes, exactly. And I I noticed that, I mean, I'm usually that way anyways, but even more so with the projects that I put in, I usually don't do things, you know, real big. I try to do a little bit. Um, And one of the, with my, I know with my projects and stuff on the site where I'm at, every year I try to do a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it's very incremental. And I noticed that, the same, it's actually very much like software development is to me. Oh, yes. And between that and permaculture, because, I mean, all the work I do is you do a little bit, you test it. Do a little bit more, you test it, you show mm-hmm. it to somebody. And, and that's the same thing with permaculture with perm- yeah. gardening. You yeah. do a little bit here, you do a little bit there, and, you know, and you try stuff, and you don't try to do too much, and you do little experiments, you don't waste your time and energy and you know, end up crying. <laughs> yeah. So inter- interesting. I did my first permaculture design course in 1991. And right around that time, I'm a software, uh, I've run several software companies. I'm not the software developer, but I'm a marketing guy. And, and I was sitting in one of my developers offices and on the shelf in his office. Now this guy had never heard of permaculture, but on the shelf in his office was a pattern language. The book. I know exactly. Yes. And I said, Jim, why is that on your shelf? He says, I use it for programming. Uh, I use the, I read it for the patterns that are in it for programming. 
Yeah, they actually used that book. It was actually, I think, written in the 70s. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds right. And it's called A Pattern Language, and we actually used that in our permaculture design course and used it for in our designs. Oh, wow. Even though it, it's really about buildings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it was very interesting. And Peter Bain wrote a book that's kind of a companion that um, it's specifically patterns that you use in town and country, you know, for gardens and, and uh-huh. urban farms and, right. and the whole thing. So, like I said, that the concepts between the, my real life job and, and this other <laughs> stuff that I'm doing is just was that's the thing that blew me away the most with that course and and all of that. It is is go ahead and restate it. What? Oh, you said the thing that blew you away the most was. Oh, the thing that blew me the way the most was the fact that the the software. Um, development that I do in the daytime is the same the same concept we're used with the permaculture yeah. concepts and that I was able to apply them back and forth you know and I don't think I would have seen that because right. um, in this cor- in the course I took I was probably one of the most technologically advanced person uh-huh. just because of the type of people that tend to take these courses are way more you know agricultural backgrounds mm-hmm. at least or maybe you know Maybe they're more community-based or more um, social justice, but definitely not software developers. Yeah. So in, in some ways, I thought I was going to feel a lot more out of place, but in a lot of ways, I think I, I was able to you know, really relate to what we were talking about. Yeah, perfect. I mean, perfect. A, a system's a system's a system. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm going to shift a little bit about you, and I'd like you to talk about a time you failed and how you maybe overcame that failure, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, back... Like, like I said, I moved to Snarky Acres in 2010, and it was in the fall. So my first year there was in 2011. I still was in the, you know, I'm still learning a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I tilled the whole thing myself. I actually bought a little tiny tiller, oh. <laughs> um, like, like like a mantis. Uh-huh. And I, I tilled it, and it was the last year I tilled because that year was the most weeds I'd ever seen in a garden oh, in my yes. career so far. And I had come from you know, the last place I'd been at was had been a weed farm basically uh-huh. I got to it. so it was bad but this was pretty much the same and I started it's like well what am I doing what am I doing wrong I, I don't want to spend all day you know doing weeds which I hear a lot of people you know that I talk to with gardening it's one of the questions they ask me so I read up on it and figured out between a stop tilling because you're just going to pull up weeds from you know mm-hmm. decades past which and also um, identify the weeds that you have to see if they're useful. Oh, yeah. Permaculture kind of thing. I realized after it took me several years to identify several of them, but most of the weeds in my garden are very edible. They right. came here from somewhere, or, you know, and it's like yeah. the one that took over, which is called quickweed, um, is, it, it grows very fast. That's why it's called that. And that one is very edible. And if I had known that, I would have maybe eaten more of it and right, exactly. complained about it less. Um, and the other thing I learned was to use a lot of mulch and material mm-hmm. to cover. So, you know, cause you're not supposed to have soil that's uncovered, really. Right. It's not necessarily the best thing for the soil life underneath. So between those three things, I kind of, I, I used that. And, and the year after I started, I actually bought myself a, a lawn sweeper. I have several trees on the property that are, I have an oak tree in the front and I have a bunch of maple trees mm-hmm. and stuff. And so I take every leaf I can possibly get, oh, yes. chop them all up, and they all go into the garden and yeah. they're used for cover. And the weeds have never been much of a problem since that time. Yeah. Or if they are, it's the ones I can eat, so I just eat them. Bonus. <laughs> Bonus. So, so what do you consider one of your biggest successes? 
I would say just every year that I, I have that incremental project, and each year I produce more. This year I produced probably twice as much as I did last year. Very nice. Some areas I, I put, I was very strategic about the, what I planted in the new area, plus, you know, versus the, the horticulture beds that I had. Mm-hmm. I've also slowly, even though I'm on a rental property, I've been slowly been putting more perennials in. Uh, oh, nice. I have, like, uh, drew some artichokes. Yep. Uh, put some comfrey in. Uh, I have a lot of herbs and that kind of stuff. And a lot of things that will come back. Uh, actually, this year I started with some brown cherries, which are sort of like tomatoes. I'd never run into them before, but they're mm-hmm. supposed to be very seedy. They'll come back on their own. Which right, exactly. Yes, they will. I love things that come back on their own. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of garden I'm... And I, that's the thing I think is my biggest success. Seeing those changes and, you know, working on the, the slow, but, you know, more success and... And, and having lots of stuff to share too yeah. with it, you know, I've I've been slow. I originally hidden kind of on my snarky gardener from my work life, mm-hmm. and in this last year they kind of crossed up. I started giving some advice and I handed out a business card, and, and my boss ended up going and telling everybody else that I was doing it. <laughs> so so the secret's out, and you know, but it's been nice because now I've been able to bring in like food and different things and people really yes. appreciate it yeah exactly they know what i'm up to so and people ask me questions all the time at work like i can't get away from it <laughs> <laughs> that's i love that when that happens absolutely love that when that happens so what drives you what's your big why um i think when i started i realized the power of growing your own food mm-hmm. and i think i've in the last year or two i figured out that i truly believe everybody should grow their own food not all their own food but some, some of it, even if it's just a herb, it, it, because you, you appreciate what you're eating in the world once you start growing it yourself. Yeah. And, and I really, I think it's been a lot of the stuff I've been doing. It's to help even people, like we said, people who are renting, people who are, you know, don't have the same opportunity to have a big property to put stuff to make them realize they can do this. And so I think everything I've been doing is kind of in culminating to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that thing. Fantastic. Yeah. So what projects or project are you currently working on that you'd like to share about? Um, actually, I'm writing a book. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm about 60% done. Um, it's called The Snarky Gardener's Veggie Growing Guide for Ohio and Beyond. Um, a lot of my traffic on my blog gets specifically written for Northeast Ohio. Uh-huh. A lot of, you know, what can you grow here kind of stuff. So I have a lot of traffic coming in. Um, I'll probably write some other books, but this one's my first one, and I'm self-publishing, and it'll be out in the spring. I'm thinking January or February, I'm hoping. But, Congratulations. You know, well, when you do uh, that, let us know, because I'd love to have you back and talking about your book. Cause, yeah. uh, I will. Love that. So that would be that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all out about education, and I have to know, is there one book that's been most influential for you in this process? I would say Food Not Lawns. Uh, oh. Food Not Lawns, How to Turn Your Yard into a Garden and Your Neighborhood into a Community. Yeah. The idea in the book basically is, I mean, you know, don't have grass, grow food. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to everybody, but not everybody. Um, and also about the community part of it. Um, in Big order time. for me to have... My chapter that I, I run, I have to have a seed swap every year. It's not like they're closing me down if I don't, but it's you know one of the expectations. Right. So that you have that sense of community and you're you know you're sharing seeds, you're helping people. And I actually had the opportunity to do a lawn liberation. Oh really? Heather Flores, who wrote this, who, who wrote Food on Lawn, wrote the book. Yes. Doing a kind of a, she was doing a book tour, sort of, 
um, a Kickstarter thing. Yep. And her, she was the closest she got to me was Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is like three hours to my west. Mm-hmm. So we traveled out there, and I actually got to work side by side with her, liberated a lawn, and it was really cool. <laughs> Gotta love that. Gotta love that. All right, so I just want to recap here. The top sure. three th- in in renting and growing food. Give me the top three things we need to do. Um, have a good relationship with your landlord. Great. So, and before you come in or even after you're there. Um, the second is don't think of where you're at necessarily being temporary. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, people who buy houses are they're only a certain, they're temporary also. We're all technically temporary. Um, to think about the long term, even if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do all this work and I'm going to leave it. Well, someone else is going to get it. Uh-huh. You know, you yeah. pay it forward. It's very important. And I would say just if you're in a situation where you don't think you can, you know, you're, you're stopped for whatever reason, question it. Question in a positive way. Don't, you know, not the question why is the landlord such a jerk, but more like, well, why is he, you know, why, what's, what's the reason you can't do it? And also, like, well, if I can't grow food here, you know, outside in the yard, what else can I do? Yeah. I mean, because thinking that way and having those open questions really helps to bring in the possibilities. Um, permaculture has a very much the concept of edge and, and concept of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you have limited resources, your, your designs actually get more elegant because you don't have all the possibilities. You, you, you know, you work really hard at the things you can do. Yeah. And it's really what I've ended up kind of in retrospect realizing that's what I did with my gardening and my, you know, my place of, uh, of living is I, I've taken what I could do because, you know, I, I'm not going to plant 100 trees. I don't even have the room for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I'm definitely leaving a legacy. Right. And even if, if my legacy is to change my landlord's mind so he's even more open to it for other properties that he has, you know, I'm doing something positive. Yeah. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, well, best way is to go to the snarkygardener.com, which is my website. Um, I have my information on there, uh, my email address, that sort of stuff. Um, I also have a lot of articles that go back, like I said, three years or so. Perfect. Three years. Um, so, yeah, there's all that. And like I said, when my book's coming out, all that'll be out there, too. I also have a Facebook site um, called The Snarky Gardener. Uh, it's a page, actually. And they can also uh, like me there and, you know, follow along what I'm doing there also. Perfect. So I was on your website here a little while ago, and I subscribed, and you sent me something, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, and what was that you sent me? Uh, I sent you an email. Uh, I'm doing weekly emails off my site, and I also have a, a free um, document. That it has a list of vegetables uh, in order by how I think how easy they are to grow, basically. Got 50 it. different vegetables. Um, the top number one for me was green beans, because... This will grow pretty much anywhere. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and I think the bottom one was like parsnips or something. Yeah, I, exactly. I've tried before that are like very hard to get to the Germany. Yeah. <laughs> So if, so if you go to the snarkygardener.com, I'm sitting here looking at this document now. It's a cool list. The Snarky Gardener's Veggie Growing List. You can get that there. So thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Don. It's been a treat chatting with you. It's been a treat. Uh, chatting with you and I really like the concept of the urban farm too I didn't really get to mention that um, 
the concept that, you know, if you even give your vegetables to someone else anywhere, that you're considered a farm. I, I really like that because I think people think too small. They think, oh, I'm just a gardener. I just grow some stuff. But it's yeah. very powerful, and especially giving stuff away. People just love that. Yeah. You, you get so much more back than you ever could, you know, and that, then you're really giving. Fantastic. That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.